Before I get into my message for today, um, I wanted to let you know about the series I'm kicking off next week. I've called it Ruts. Ruts are those routines that either uh, have been detrimental or they've gotten detrimental to you physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And we're going to talk about <clears throat> you know, what, what ruts are, how we get in them, why we stay in them, and then how to get out. And so I'm real excited about it. It's one of those series where uh, you get to see how the scriptures, what the scriptures say about the way that uh, real life change happens and what science says about how life change happens. They, they, co they agree. They say the same thing. And so I'm excited about it. If nobody else is excited about it, I'm excited about it. Anyway, that'll be next week. Ruts, ruts. All right. <clears throat> and I've been sick, so I won't be coughing a lot. I won't, I won't cough too much on you people, but, uh, but don't let my, you know what, my cough distract you from the message. The message is too important, all right? Because in this series, we've talked about how uh, City Church is a messy church, and we're messy intentionally. Because nearly 2,000 years ago, when Jesus started the movement he called the church, he intended it to be a messy movement for messy people who needed hope, hope for a new life. And he never intended that his movement would be just like this perfect gathering of perfect people who gathered to keep their perfect lives perfect. He intended it to be a messy movement where messy people could experience the beauty of messy grace and the power of life-transforming truth. Now, over the last few weeks, I've acknowledged to you that uh, I grew up in the church. I'm glad my parents raised me in the church. Uh, you know, I, I think it set some things in motion that were important for me. But I grew up in a neat church. <clears throat> and by neat, I mean a church where everyone looked nice and everyone seemed fine, but we really weren't. How many of you guys grew up in a neat church? Anyone else? Okay, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so in a neat church, we put on neat clothes and went to a neat sanctuary, sang neat songs, heard neat sermons, but we would go home to the mess that was our lives. It was like at church, you could not get real about your messiness. It was a sign that you lacked faith or something. And then to make matters worse, none of us, well, I know it's true for me, I did not feel comfortable inviting my messy friends to my neat church. And when I say messy, I mean, messy my friends just had messiness just like I did. But when I went to my neat church, I knew how to act neat. My messy friends didn't know how to act neat. And my neat church certainly didn't know what to do with my messy friends. And so I never invited them. I never encouraged my friends to check out the church movement. I never brought them to hear about Jesus. And that still grieves me to this day. Because they had messiness just like me. They needed messy grace just like me. But what they needed was a messy church. Now, my best friend now, <coughs> also, uh, he did not grow up in the church, and he had some messiness in his life. He's a United States Army veteran and served his country, you know, and he just, he got some messiness along the way, and at a certain season in his life, his marriage became uh, quite a mess, and it sort of stirred up all the other messiness within him, and he realized he needed help, and fortunately, he found a messy church who could love him the way he was, took him just the way he was. I mean, because he didn't know anything about the Bible, didn't know much about God or Jesus or any of that stuff. He just knew he needed help. 
And he found, thank goodness, a messy church. And when he talks about the way <coughs> he was before his faith, it's like, I mean, because I've only known him since, you know, uh, post-Christ. Like, he, he sounded terrible. I would have hated his guts. And, and the thing is, I, it's like he's talking about a different person. His life change was that dramatic. And that's why messy churches matter. We are a messy church. And I think we need more messy churches uh, today than ever. I read an article this week talking about the biggest faith stories of the last 15 years. And the number one story is about the, the fastest growing religious demographic in our country. And so the fastest growing religious demographic in our country are the nuns. Not the N-U-N-S like Mother Teresa nuns. <coughs> the N-O-N-E-S, nuns. That's the people who check not affiliated when asked about the religious uh, connection. So nuns are typically either atheist or agnostic, or they simply don't ascribe to any organized religion. And according to surveys, 23% of adults in the United States consider themselves nuns. That's almost one out of four. And 35% of millennials self-identify as nuns. That's over one out of every three. And I think that's an important issue to to pay attention to. And, and let me just say, <coughs> I can understand why people have become nuns. Because some of us grew up with hyper-controlling religious parents who shoved religion down our throats and left a bad taste in our mouths, right? Come on. And some of us have experienced such pain in life that we just can't reconcile a good God with the bad stuff we've experienced. And then some of us have been shocked by the scandals within the church, and it's led us to distrust religious movements and religious leaders so much that we would just rather check the box, none. And like I said, I get it. I get why people identify themselves as nuns. And I want to say something. I mean, I, I hope we have some nuns here. If you would say, you know, Pastor Brown, I'm, I think I'm a nun. Well, I want you to know you're welcome here. Uh, messy, this messy church is for you. We created City Church to be a church where nuns could be okay about being a nun. Because we believe, you know, everybody's got to start somewhere. And we welcome you to check out our faith. Um, and so we've created intentionally a safe environment where you can ask hard and reasonable questions about our faith. Where you can get real about your struggles, about your failures, about your doubts. And this is a safe community where you can belong before you believe. And that does make things messy around here. And that's why I say we are a messy church. And, and we think that's what Jesus intended. So I want us to look at another uh, scene from Jesus' life where he set in motion this movement and where he created the kind of messy grace culture he wanted. All right, <coughs> All right you ready? <coughs> Sorry. Now I'm ready. All right. <clears throat> Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho, which was a large city in that part of the Roman Empire, and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass 
uh, that way. Now, <clears throat> I want you to understand that Jericho was one of the richest cities in this part of the Roman Empire. And the scriptures say that Zacchaeus was a chief, chief tax collector, which meant he supervised other tax collectors. So that's what made him very rich. So if you get the, the, the sense, he, he's a very rich person in a very rich city. We're talking about like keeping up with the Kardashians kind of rich and, you know, MTV Cribs or something, all right? So this is a person living in a mansion up on the Hollywood Hills, or this is a person living in a penthouse condo uh, overlooking Central Park in New York City, okay? This is a guy with a lot of money, but how he got rich made him unpopular with people and led to regrets in his own life. You see, he collected taxes for an oppressive foreign power. And so his own Jewish uh, people looked upon those who collected taxes as people who sold out, right, to the man to get rich. And most tax collectors collected more monies from the people than what the Roman Empire requ required. So they were sort of like white-collar corrupt criminals who got away with it in their culture. And these were the people, the tax collectors were the people, everyone felt safe to hate. Well, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus knew all of this stuff about Zacchaeus' messy past because he knew the reputation of tax collectors. And I want you to notice what happened. This is verse five. So remember, Zacchaeus is up in the fig tree. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. <clears throat> Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Now, did you catch what just happened here? Jesus invited himself to one of the best houses in one of the rich cities in the Roman Empire. That's sort of gauche, you know? And this would be like Jesus going to Washington, D.C., and, and inviting himself to the home of a wealthy politician who got wealth through corruption. I'm not saying that actually happens. I'm just trying to give an example. Oh, yeah. Oh, and in the ancient Middle East, <coughs> eating, uh, eating and uh, having a meal together in someone's home was one of, one of the most intimate forms of community possible because when they got together to eat, you, you sort of laid on, laid on the floor with your elbow and you got real close to people. And you would, it would take hours. So there's a lot of conversation and connection. So think about this. Jesus is forging community with a notorious sinner before he got his act together. Yeah, what a messy thing to do. And I think we have to let what Jesus did really settle in there. Because Jesus knew what he did that he, when he invited himself over. He knew that when he did that, it was shocking. He wanted it to be shocking. He was sending a message. He was creating culture. And this was the message he was sending. My movement is for notorious sinners. They're welcome in my community. Why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus do something so shocking? and forge community with a notorious sinner because he is full of grace and his movement is full of grace. And movements full of grace go looking for the people who need the most grace and then they dump grace all over them, right? I mean, isn't that the point? 
The whole point of grace is that people need grace. I mean, neat people whose lives have always been neat, never had, they don't need that much grace. Jesus movement is about finding the most notorious sinners possible and then dumping grace all over them. So I want us to get, get what Jesus is doing here. So it means that grace is not reactive. I'm gonna say that again. Full grace. The grace of Jesus' movement is not reactive. It doesn't wait for the person who needs grace to take the initiative. Full grace is proactive. <laughs> Full grace takes the initiative to find people who need grace and then dump, dump grace all over them. That's what Jesus' movement is all about because full grace, when people who need full grace get it, it changes them. This is verse eight. <clears throat> so later, we don't know how long they had eaten, but it's clear they're at Zacchaeus' home now. They're laying around, they're talking. Later, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Zacchaeus called Jesus Lord. Like I said, we don't know how long they have been talking and engaging, but somewhere along the way, Zacchaeus had faith in Jesus and called him Lord. And when, when Jesus uh, could see the faith in Zacchaeus, he told him, salvation has come to you today. And then he was so overwhelmed with this full grace that got dumped all over him that he did something very shocking himself in response, right? He offered to give away half his money to the poor and to, to pay back people he cheated, you know, four, fourfold. You see, he realized that being rich in grace is better than being rich in money. And what happened in this moment, as his faith stirred up in his heart, he realized that money was a part of his mess. He had allowed the love of money to drive his life. And oh yeah, he was rich, he had all kinds of nice possessions, a big nice house, but he had a poor life. And now he wanted a rich life. And he sensed, if I'm going to have a rich life, I've got to change the way I view money. It is my mess. And so he surrendered, think about this, half of his money. He surrendered it. He surrendered the mess so that he could experience something beautiful in life. He believed that Jesus was the one who could turn his mess into a man's masterpiece. And at City Church, <clears throat> we believe people are made right through, with God through faith in, God, uh, faith in Christ alone. All right, let me restate that. At City Church, we believe a person is made right with God through faith in Christ alone. You don't have to give away half your money to get right with God. Because I want to make sure we understand what was going on and what was not going on here. The giving away half of his wealth was not about how he got right with God. It was a way he surrendered his mess to Jesus. And he felt compelled to do that. And so, somewhere in your spiritual journey, you who believe, somewhere in your spiritual journey, you have to decide, do I, do I really believe Jesus can make a masterpiece for my mess? Well, then at that point, you have to surrender your mess to him. I mean, you, you understand what I'm saying? If you want to live a masterpiece life, you have to surrender your mess to him and trust him with it. Let him, and this is what I mean by that, let Jesus speak truth into your messiness. 
Now, his truth may surprise you. His truth may shock you. It may convict you. It may challenge you. I mean, giving away half your money, that's a big challenge. But his truth will set you free from the stench of your messiness. And he can turn your life into something beautiful. And I want us to go back to the last words that Jesus spoke in this setting that's recorded for us because those words were not for Zacchaeus. They were for the people sitting with him who were going to lead his movement. You remember what he said? The son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And that means his movement exists to seek and to save the lost. It means we have to recognize that the people who need the most grace, we got to go seek them out. Come on, because what do we do with the people? You know, come on, people in our family and people that work with us, the ones that, that take a lot of grace to even be around, what do we tend to do with them? We avoid them, right? Well, Jesus' movement is about seeking them, finding people who need a lot of grace and then dumping it all over them. And so that's pretty messy. That's why we're a part of a messy church. Here at City Church, we are a messy church. We are a people, not a place. We are a body, not a building. We are a movement, not a meeting. And we exist for notorious sinners. And so if you're a notorious sinner, you're in the right place. We, and we exist to seek and to save the lost. That means taking the initiative to find the people who need the most grace and then dump grace all over them. Even before they get their act together, that means we're gonna love people as they are, wherever they are in their spiritual journey, and just keep dumping grace on them. And we've created a safe environment. <clears throat> so if you feel like a notorious sinner, we've worked hard to create a safe environment where you can get real about your messiness and where we hope that you feel inspired to entrust your life and your messiness to the master artist who really can make a masterpiece from your mess. And we give people time to wrestle with it all. We're not gonna rush you. I don't want you to rush. I want you to decide and to believe when you're ready. That's, that's what a safe community is all about. And we help people become masterpieces. We help people heal broken relationships. We help people discover purpose in life. We help people experience salvation and forgiveness. And we help people find freedom. That's what a messy church is all about. And we are a messy church. <coughs> And how many of you know that messy churches aren't just for adults? Anybody have a messy teenager out there that needs some messy grace dumped all over them? Her, hmm? Grace. Her name's Grace. Oh my gosh. Sorry, Grace. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> this summer, I'm, I'm so excited that we welcomed our new student pastor, uh, Johnny D, to our city church team. And uh, I've asked him today to share his story with us because he was also a messy guy in a messy place and he needed the beauty of messy grace. So would you join me in welcoming Johnny D. Long ago in a galaxy far, far away called the 80s, there was a teenage boy, an angry 13-year-old boy, me, I was angry, angry at my dad. I loved him, just wanted to feel like he saw me, like I was important. 
I was angry because my father, my father, the pastor, in my opinion, chose faith over family. We were poor, real poor, food stamp poor. We grew up here in the 210 over on the west side. Every Christmas, yeah, every Christmas we'd go to the big fancy mall. It's part of the holidays, North Star, walk around and look at all the decor. And is anybody old enough to remember that crazy little elf animatronic place that North Star had that CZ that sold the, they called them cinnamon twists. We know they were churros, but they called them cinnamon twists. Yeah. So we'd go there at Christmas time and walk around and we're sitting in the food court. And as we're sitting there, my dad and I, these punk rock kids walk by hair all crazy, clothes all jacked up, smelling like cigarettes, patchouli, and who knows what. And he grits his teeth and looks at him. He's all, oh, I hate those kids. And I'm telling you, bing, the light bulb went off. It got a rise out of my dad, and I thought to myself, any attention is better than no attention. So at that point, I decide that can be my tribe. I started taking the bus up to North Star every weekend, hanging out with this motley crew of punks, gutter kids, losers, and outcasts. And sadly, it only took about six months to go from no worldly experience to a needle in my arm, LSD on my tongue, and alcohol in my belly. Every chance I could. And so began my path to destruction. At school, I became a terror, fighting, throwing things at teachers, lying, cheating, harassing everyone, spitting on people uh, at lunch, sticking my finger in people's trays just to be a jerk. Ended up failing my freshman year, my sophomore year, and the weekends were even more horrifying, breaking and entering, stealing anything and everything that wasn't buckled down, more fighting, car racing, uh, a drug and alcohol experience that were the things movies are made of. I, I was the guy everybody hated. Nobody liked to be around me. My friends didn't like to be around me. The people I was selling drugs didn't like me. The people I was buying frog, drugs from didn't like me. I didn't like me. I was the one everybody hated and couldn't stand to be around long. Oddly enough, though, my own spiritual backstory is I was raised in church. My first memory of anything is in church. We went to a neat church with neat people that sang neat songs. And, you know, we saw, I, I saw past their neatness, through their neatness. The pastor's daughter got pregnant. The worship leader's son got his girlfriend pregnant. The elder's daughters were getting pregnant. They weren't neat. They were just neat looking. And I got tired of it. So I walked away. I knew what I was doing was wrong, but nothing was better than something. Anything had to be better than the anger that I was feeling inside, right? In my pursuit of freedom on any given Friday and Saturday, you could find me just north of downtown by San Antonio College at the Bone Club, a rock bar, a punk rock bar who served alcohol to anybody who looked the part, week in and week out, getting high, getting drunk, and spent my time, 13 through 17 years old, doing this. And then things got weird, which is odd based on what I just told you. They got real weird. I started having dreams, the kind of dreams that God had returned and I had got left, the dreams that Moses and Elijah from the Bible were showing up. And it was weird, but that Elijah and Moses were like, Miho, you have to stop doing what you're doing. You have to go back to church. I know, weird. I started to run into God's, you know, Jedi Knights. The Jesus ninjas were coming out of the woodwork. 
you need to go back to church. I'm praying for you. You know, people I'd never seen, let alone talked of, talked to in my life, start showing up. The Lord is calling you back. And oh, I was angry. I was angry because I knew things were coming to a head. So one Friday night, we're down at the Bone Club, and these two guys walk up to me and my friends. Hello, brothers. Oh, man. They're Christians. I knew that because only Christians talk like that. But I didn't say anything because I didn't want anybody to know that I was running from the Lord. And after a few minutes, sure enough, one of them pipes up. Have any of you ever heard of Jesus Christ? I lost it. I got upset. I started yelling at him, swearing at him, spitting on him. My friends couldn't understand what was going on. But I knew, I knew that if they listened to what these guys had to say, things could change. My friends were upset. They shoved me away. They told me to calm down and, and, and I couldn't. So I just went inside and I'm like peeking outside to see what's going on out there. And they're talking to my friends and I'm thinking to myself, no. And they put their arms around them and I'm like, it's a trap. Inside of a couple of minutes, my friend Ray runs in. Hey, I prayed with these guys to some guy named Jesus, and I feel free. And oh, just mad. Oh, I was so mad. My night was sunk. I lay in bed that night furious because I knew my number was up. What was I going to do? The next weekend, we're back at it. Same bar. Who shows up? These two guys. And I thought to myself that night, oh, no, not on my watch, not with my friends. So I picked up rocks and started throwing rocks at these guys, empty beer bottles, yelling at them again, spitting at them again. They turned around. I turned around and thought to myself, that was a close one. Again, just mad because I knew it was going on the following weekend. I thought to myself, okay, okay. All right, I got to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Where, what, what can I do? Where can I go? Where can I hide? So I went to another bar on the other side of town. Didn't work. A few hours later, I come out, and who do you think is walking up the parking lot to the club as I'm coming out? I start screaming again. And this time they throw their hands up. I threw the bottle I had at them and they're like, no, no, we only came here because we didn't want to upset you. And what they, they turned around. I got in my car and drove off on the drive home. I'm just oh, mad. I'm a wreck. I'm mad. I'm sad. But oddly, I felt relieved. I thought to myself, that's it. There's no more running. So that night, I prayed. Lord, if you can use a sinner like me, I'm yours. If you'll help me, if you'll save me from myself, I will go wherever you want. I will say whatever you want. I will be whoever you want. And I went to bed. Next morning, got up. Went to church, to the church I grew up in. As the church service is ending, the pastor says, you know, we welcome any visitors. If you're here for the first time, we'd like you to stand up so we can welcome you. You're not going to believe this. But what two guys do you think were visiting that church that Sunday morning? No joke. Burst into tears. I knew it. I knew all of this had been a God thing. I knew all of this had been his plan. 
After the service, I walk up to them and their eyes are getting as big and as wide, wide as white as dishes. And at the same time, both of us are like, what are you doing here? The two of them then confessed that they were Bible students and the last few weekends they had been praying, Lord, where should we go to share the gospel? That morning they got up and they said they felt like they were supposed to go visit the church down the street from their college campus. Lo and behold, the church that I was at. I shared my backstory with them. We talked about the three previous encounters and we laughed as I asked them, okay, I gotta ask, how did you know that I was at a different bar on the other side of town? And sure enough, their answer was, we didn't. We prayed and the Lord sent us there. We actually hoped to not run into you as upset as we had made you the two weekends before. You see, my life had been a mess. And it took two messy believers to find a messy kid in a mess of a place. I was a notorious sinner, just like Zacchaeus. Just like Zacchaeus, I encountered Jesus and he invited me to a new life. Just like Zacchaeus, he came to me where I was. Just like in the Zacchaeus story, Jesus came to save this sinner. The Lord took that mess and turned it into a masterpiece. I stuck true to my promise that night as a teenager. I started working with teenagers, and I've been in youth ministry for over 30 years. Our former students, our former students are now Hollywood actors and producers, teachers, preachers, pastors, punks, rock stars, doctors, worship leaders, husbands, wives. They're on staff at churches all over the place and even here at City Church. Our desire is to show your teens that same grace and love that I experienced. I was called to be a leader in this messy movement, to experience love and messy grace. Maybe that's you here this morning. Your life is a mess. You need to be saved from yourself. And the only one who can do that is Jesus. And this is where we transition to the goosebumps and the hair rising off and we shift gears. And in my head, I think to myself, oh, yeah, here we go. Cue the Rocky Balboa, Eye of the Tiger, whatever your fight music is, drop, 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 drop the bass. We're about to pray. That's why we're here. This is the best part. That's why I agreed to be here so we could pray going to have some spiritual furniture moving around up in here if you'll have it. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're in the video cafe. Maybe you're watching online. And today, your number is up. You are here because you're at the intersection of you, the Lord, and this talk. And after today, no more running. No more hiding. No more wondering and asking yourself, you know, what's going on? I'm tired of feeling alone, tired of feeling desperate for something real. No more, no more, no more waiting for a sign. Today was your sign. No more, if I could just hear from the Lord. I spoke to him this morning. It's now, it's today, it's your opportunity. Let's go. So we got two prayers. The first prayer is if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Pray with me. Almighty, thank you for never giving up on us. Jesus, thank you for coming after sinners like Zacchaeus, myself, and those here today. 
Thank you for coming to the places we live and drink and attend church. We admit we are sinners and need your forgiveness. Now, if this is you, if you know that if it's you, if this is your moment, then repeat after me. You can do it in your head, in your heart, out loud, as a whisper, whatever, but say this prayer with me. Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your messy grace. I admit I'm a sinner and need your salvation. Holy Spirit, do that thing you do. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for forgiveness and a new beginning. Second prayer. Maybe you're in here today and it's time that you surrender your mess to Jesus. You know you're going to heaven. You know you're a Christian, but you just haven't given it up. But you are sick and tired, tired of trying it, trying it, trying it, don't work, trying it, trying it, don't work. Well, this prayer is for you. Let's say it together. Again, you can repeat it in your head. You can say it in your heart. You can say it out loud. Repeat after me. Jesus, I surrender. I'm tired of trying to make it work. It don't and I can't. Please make my life into a masterpiece. Show me where to go, how to live, who to be, how to drive, what to say. I give my all to you. Lead and I will follow. Amen. Thank you.